This is E Boogie, the artist formerly known as Eric. You're now listening to Brown Men Won't Jump. What is up, guys? Thank you for joining us for another episode of Brown Men Won't Jump. With me today, I got my guy, Anushan. Yo ho, what is good, y'all? And Aswi. Howdy how, I know you all missed me. And as you all know who've been tuning in, I am AC, your resident Knicks fan. And today, we've got to talk about this NBA Finals, guys. I mean, what a freaking epic series that was. Dude, like, I-, I can't tell you how exciting it was to watch, like, these two teams in particular just battle it out. I mean, so many storylines to go off with here. I mean, Giannis played incredible. CP3, there's so many things to go on with him, and I'm sure we'll talk about it today. But God, the finals was absolutely excellent, and I loved every second of it. I mean, if you put a gun to my head and told me that this would be the finals matchup, I would say just pull the trigger because no way in hell the Suns and the Bucks are meeting in the finals. <laughs> <laughs> well, though, Oswe, I do have to call you out on just a little something. Oh, boy. I got a <laughs> clip for you that you may recall from our first episode. Play that clip. He's the Greek freak in the regular season, and then he's Greek yogurt in, in the postseason. So, uh, Greek yogurt, huh, Oswe? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, look, guys, after watching this finals performance by Giannis, I I really thought about my assessment of Giannis. And I have to be honest with you. I've never been more happy to be so terribly wrong about a player than I am right now with Giannis. I mean, what we saw in this finals... Two 40 and 10 games and a 50 and 10 game, especially a 50 and 10 game in the closeout game. I mean, it was an absolute treat. In game six, you could just see how badly he wanted it. I, the dude was everywhere. And it got me thinking, you know, I've I've always rooted against Giannis on the court, even though I absolutely admire his off-court story. And I, I think my criticism of Giannis is less about Giannis and more about my own frustrations with Embiid and Simmons because in many ways, Giannis is the anti-Embiid and Simmons. And yes, I, I know guys, I always bring the Sixers into this, but there's a reason. Think about it. Giannis is a guy who came in relatively under the radar. Embiid and Simmons were high profile. Giannis is a guy who came in super raw and like a twig. Both Embiid and Simmons were projected to be impact now guys. Giannis is a guy who worked his ass off to put on 61 pounds of muscle, but didn't in a way that he didn't injure himself and he stayed consistently healthy. Embiid and Simmons have enjoyed their celebrity more than actually putting in work and the team has suffered dearly for it. Not to mention when Simmons put a lot of muscle on fast, he broke his foot. And then, as we all know, Embiid has been consistently out of shape and injured. Then, think about Giannis, how he plays his game. He's a guy who can't shoot well and is bad from the free throw line, but he's not afraid to attempt to shoot or get to the line. Whereas Ben Simmons is a very similar player in many ways, but Ben Simmons is Ben Simmons. And so, what it really all made me realize is, my own personal bias put blinders on my face. And that is a mistake I will never make again, especially as a host of this show. And as Kevin Wilde said the other day, on Tuesday, Jeff Bezos might have gone to space, but by far the most inspirational person on Tuesday was Giannis Antetokounmpo. 
No, for real, though, I would argue you have blood on your face all the time, but I'd like to think I, I'd like to think I'm pretty fair. I'd like to think a lot no, of for sure, what for I sure. say is based Just on a shot. Just a shot, yeah. buddy. I mean, I mean, th- think about it like this. My initial assessment of Giannis also came because I saw how I, I would want to say he failed, but he failed against the Heat. And then the year before that against the Raptors, it, it showed how limited his game could be. But to be fair, most of that's really on Bud, who I don't think I'll ever have a you know reconciliation for Bud, you know? Well, also, you know, you talk about the growth of Giannis. You and I actually saw Giannis in person when on draft night. Remember that we were in the yep. in the hallway of the Brooklyn Arena. Tall skinny kid. At Barclays, yeah, this tall skinny kid. We could have gotten his autograph. We could have pictures with him. We didn't think anything of him because, like, who is this Kenny kid from Greece? Who's this guy? To think that that's the guy who right now stands atop the NBA world is insane. Yeah, and I just want to say, I mean, I, I'm just so impressed. And I, I've loved every press conference he had throughout the finals. But certainly after winning it, it just showed how much it meant to him. There's an aspect of humility that he showed. And he just... Man, I, I can't think of anyone who deserves it more. I, honestly, I, I've 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 really like grown to appreciate Giannis on the court, off the court. Like I'm I'm now a, a Giannis fan. Damn. Now Anu, I uh, I heard you giggling a little bit at the <laughs> at the clip of Asui. I got a clip for you too oh, from shit. our episode 24 where we ranked our players for this year's playoffs. Play that clip. Oh, man. For me, and this is going to definitely come as a shock to a lot of you guys, but I actually have him at 14 on my list. So, uh, number 14 there? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, first of all, I need to definitely take a step back and look at my list because I feel like now I have a rap for just, like, not knowing basketball at all and just, like, making these terrible predictions about players. I'm, like, nowhere near Oswee's level of Oswee dramas at all. So like, oh my God! Uh, please don't give him that <laughs> level of props. <laughs> a sweet drama. But um, yeah. Honestly, I have to really look back at the list and just be like, damn, I don't know what I was thinking. But in fairness, I think prior to these playoffs, I had good reason to believe that Giannis would struggle in the playoffs. I mean, us, we sort of said it earlier, talking about how the Heat really like troubled him last year, and my Raptors in 2019 like really gave it to him. So. I had good reason to believe in playoff basketball, Giannis would not really excel and he wouldn't be a, the type of player to dominate the way he did. But I think that's also due in part with what Asu said again with Coach Bud just really limiting him, but also Giannis having those mental blocks himself. It just took a couple of successes in the playoffs to really elevate his mindset, I believe, to think that he really is the best player in the world and he's the most unstoppable player since Shaq. So he really showed out in these playoffs. And to be honest with you guys, like I have to you know, take it on the cheek here and just be like, I was wrong. And 14 is honestly blasphemy at this point. It's just ridiculous to even think that I put him at that number when we look at it today. You know, one of the stories of the finals to me was just how Giannis simply physically overwhelmed the Suns. Now, I thought that the Suns would collapse the paint. And I actually mentioned that in our finals preview pod. But it was apparent that after the first two games, the Suns just didn't have the personnel to physically contain Giannis or even really to bother him. He was just that physically dominant. He was tossing guys around like ragdolls. You mentioned Shaq, Anushan. He actually finished this entire playoff run averaging 16.9 restricted area points. That's second all-time for all the playoff runs in NBA history 
only behind Shaq in 98. So he really did play like Shaq in these playoffs. Yeah, I mean, when when I looked at how Giannis was being used in this year's playoffs, they really went away from this idea of trying to use him like a LeBron James type. I mean, there's still those times where he'll take the ball at the top of the key and just isolate, have the guy space in a five-out setting. And if they can't contain him on the driver, they don't wall up. He'll just look to pass into the corners because he's a good enough passer at this point of his career that he will make the right reads. But when they use him in the screen setter role, like how we would talk about on and on and on again during these playoffs, it really showcased just how dominant a guy like Giannis could really be. I mean, no one around the rim has any chance at stopping him. The only guy who really matches with him in size is DeAndre Ayton, who in fairness is still really young and not super nuanced on the defensive side of the ball. So those tic-tac fouls that he gets on Ayton, well, they kept on happening over and over again. Ayton couldn't really match that physicality anymore. And once that happened, Giannis just did whatever the hell he wanted around the rim. So, I mean, kudos to him for being, you know, not just this freak of nature as we see it, but he's a player who has that mindset and skill and knowledge to know how to attack defenders like Aiton who are still young and are prone to making mistakes. And if there's any example of just how dominant Giannis was in game six, the Bucks shot 22% from beyond the arc with Drew Holiday shooting... 21% from the field and 286 from beyond the arc. And Chris Middleton shooting 25% beyond the arc. So what does that tell you? They still won pretty convincingly, I would say, despite not shooting well. And it's because the Suns had no answer for Giannis. And you could really see the youth and lack of experience that the Suns had. I mean, lack of experience other than a Jay Crowder and a Chris Paul. But like, you know, Mikhail Bridges and those guys, they just couldn't handle the, the sheer physicality and size of Giannis in this series. To your point about that game six, Oswee, Giannis became just a seventh player ever to drop 50 plus points in a finals game. But the thing that not enough people are talking about is it was actually the most efficient of those games that anyone had scoring 50 points because Giannis scored on a 74.9% true shooting percentage in that game, which is helped by the man who got so much heat for missing free throws, stepping up to the line and hitting 17 of 19 free throws in the closeout game for the championship. I mean, that's just absolutely incredible. And I, I feel like it really showed just how important being at home is for a guy like Giannis because when he's on the road, you really saw him struggle at the free throw line because of the crowd influence and just, I think, his own mental blocks. But when he really locked in, when the game mattered the absolute most, he stepped up to the plate. And only the real, like, all-time great players have those kind of performances, especially in closeout games where the pressure really is mounting and building up. Let me ask you a question, guys. Do you feel that there's too much focus on what Giannis can't do and not enough on what he can do? Like all playoffs long, the discussion in the media in general has been on, say, his lousy 19% from three in the playoffs or his free throw shooting. Meanwhile, this guy just had an NBA Finals where he scored 35, 13, and 5. I mean, that's like Shaq with playmaking. Giannis is an example of this, and even my guy Ben is like this, right? There are people who are elite in other ways. You know, basketball isn't just shooting, right? Like, it's so dumb that we hold stars all to the same rubric, right? Because why are we comparing Giannis as if he's a LeBron James or even like a James Harden type, right? Giannis's game is as a big man. And when he's playing as a big man, 
good luck stopping him. He's he's something else. He's elite at that position. So it's just it's just when when you're focusing so much on what he can't do, and I will admit I am one of these people who did that. You just completely blind to just the sheer talent that he displays when he's doing his natural game. Also, you mentioned James Harden. If you remember at last year's All-Star game, James Harden said, quote, I wish I could be seven feet, run and just dunk. That takes no skill at all. I got to actually learn how to play basketball, how to have skill. I'll take that any day. Now, first and foremost, that take has aged even worse than us. We's Greek yogurt comments. So let's put, let's set that <laughs> on the table first. But I, I think it actually evinces a misnomer that skill just means shooting in basketball. I think that comes from the fact that shooting is something that the average fan can do. And those fans attribute the things they can't do as just being athleticism and not skill. But being able to Eurostep around people like Giannis does, or to be able to use your physicality to generate offense, or to be able to hang in the air and finish off balance through contact, that is a skill too. It's just not the sort of skill that is accessible to most people. So the average fan looks at Shaq and sees a guy who's dominating because he's big and they miss the drop steps. They miss the hook shots. They miss all the ways that he's leveraging his size and his strength to generate offense. And that's what Giannis has developed into now. He's a dominant offensive force. And just to cap the thing about James Harden, the guy with quote unquote no skills has more MVPs, finals MVPs, defensive player of the years and rings than the guy with skills. Damn. But- <laughs> he didn't need to join a super team. Well said, Oswald. He just did it himself. I mean, to just say it very briefly, to AC at least, you know, it's one thing to have the gifts, and it's another to use them effectively. And we've seen this with any all-time great. Even a guy like LeBron, right? Like, a lot of people will attribute a lot of LeBron's success to his body type. Well, first of all, how do he even get that body type? You know how much he spends every single year to maintain his body? I mean, it's upwards of a million dollars. So... Just doing things like that and then also being a very high IQ basketball player has posited LeBron as a top two player of all time. I mean, by most consensus standards. So a guy like Giannis, who definitely has the gifts, you could say, I mean, those are elevated by just reading the game and understanding how to use his body, like you alluded to earlier. And then I also want to answer your your previous question about, you know, the focusing on the things that Giannis can do. Well, I'll I'll name a guy right off the top of my head, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, right? Could this guy shoot a three-point shot? Absolutely not. But what was this game predicated on? It was all skill based around the basket and utilizing his great touch. And of course, he was a freak of nature in terms of his size and what he could do. But Again, those are all things that he posited and created into his own and really honed in his skill set. And that's why he's also within the top five best players of all time. Guys don't just need to be able to to shoot the ball or handle the ball or dribble for an eternity. Like those things are great to have and it's good to have those skill sets, but they shouldn't define you as a player. And, you know, just because you can't do those things doesn't mean that you're any less of a player. It's all about the role that you're given. No, that's a great point, Anu. And the crazy thing is, we've talked about all the things that Giannis can do, and we haven't even gotten to the fact that this man is an unbelievable defensive player. The things that he was doing, the way he was switching out onto guards, coming out of nowhere and blocking shots throughout the series, people were, like you saw Dreander Ayton, who's an excellent finisher, looking over his shoulder a bit on what was otherwise a wide open layup, 
just being a bit afraid of Giannis flying over and blocking his shot. I mean, this guy was incredible. The two-way performance that he had. And now he joins just Michael Jordan, Hakeem Olajuwon as the only three players ever to have won an NBA MVP, a Finals MVP, and a Defensive Player of the Year award. That's something that Shaq, LeBron, Bird, Magic, none of those guys have done that. It just speaks to his absolute, I mean, level of skill and talent and what is to come ahead. I mean, it, it really pauses us to like start talking about where he actually does stand as far as an all-time great goes. Because, I mean, it's feasible to think that this guy already right now, his resume at age 26 is better than a lot of players have ever had in their careers. And we're talking about all-time great players here. Like, he definitely posits himself somewhere within the top 25 players of all time, given his resume right now. And even, like, you could say 20. Some may argue even 15. So, I mean, the sky is the limit for this guy. He's absolutely incredible. And, you know, all the credit to him because he's a hard worker. And his story is absolutely incredible, too. I mean, that's an interesting question then. So where does he rank right now to you guys right now? And then maybe where do you see him in terms of his ceiling? How high can he go? I mean, if he wins a couple more championships, I mean, he pretty much cements himself in, in top 15, I would say. I'd say it's fair to put him in top 20. I know, AC, before the finals, you mentioned that if he wins, he could be a top 20 player. And I was I was not so sure about it. But then he comes and performs like this in the finals, and I'm sold. Yeah, I mean, again, like I, I sort of just alluded to it. Where I actually think that he stands at, it's hard to say. I do think it's somewhere between that 15 to 20 mark right now. I think he's that good given his age and what we can expect to see out of him. And I think at his ceiling, once it's all said and done, if he can win a couple more championships, more importantly, the championships, but also all the accolades like MVPs, more defensive player of the years, like, he can definitely crack himself within, I think, a top seven spot at some point in his career. And maybe even further than that. I mean, I have no idea. The sky is really the limit for this guy, honestly. I think the actual limit on this is how long Coach Bud will be there. <laughs> Poor <laughs> Coach Bud. Us, we're still not giving him a pass. I mean, look, it's great that the Bucks won the, the championship. Take nothing away from that. But the problem is it gives some level of job security for Coach Bud. And I mean, look, maybe he makes the same adjustments that he did. Maybe he plays Giannis at the five moving forward and, and makes Middleton the closer moving forward. Maybe he finally learned his lesson. But that's a big maybe. I need to see it to believe it. And I really feel like the limit of this Bucks team, I mean, obviously they need to fill out and get more depth, but really the limit of this Bucks team is Bud. Well, I got a little bit of a hot take for you guys. Can I get that hot take alert, Oswee? Hot take alert. I think that right now, Giannis is already, at worst, the 15th best player of all time. I know that sounds crazy. Wow. Wow. I, I really believe this, though. And, and you guys who know me know that I take NBA history very seriously. And I say that for this reason. Basically, if he just plays out his career not achieving any more accolades, right? He's at worst equivalent to Moses Malone. And Moses Malone's a guy who had three MVPs. Giannis has two MVPs. Whoa, 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 wait. Yeah, your That's guy. That's my boy. Your guy That's my boy. Hey, let me, let me, let me finish. Whoa. That's big foe, fo, 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 man. Fo, fo, fo. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> this guy played better in this year's championship run from beginning to end than Moses did for your Sixers back in the day, also before you were even born. Blasphemy. And I think he's the greatest Sixers player ever, and I love Moses. Second. To me, there's about 14 or so players who are just unequivocally at the top of the sport all time, in no particular order. It's Jordan, LeBron, Kareem, Russell, Magic, Bird, Wilt, Kobe, Shaq, 
Hakeem, Oscar, Jerry West, and Moses Malone. Is that 13 guys? Yeah, I think so. Am I missing someone, guys? Tim. Oh, my God. AC, I don't blame you for forgetting Timmy because he's so boring that it's easy to forget about him. Poor <laughs> <laughs> Timmy. Oh, my God. All the Spurs fans are going to kill me for that. So add Timmy, right? Those 14 players, they all have something in common. They were very good for a long time. So that excludes people like Kawhi Leonard, who had a couple of good seasons and even a great run to a championship, but they didn't have sustained greatness, right? Almost all of them were the best player on a championship team or the best player on multiple finals teams. And they're iconic figures, right? So out of those 14 players, if you say most, and then, you know, I, th- I think Kevin Durant and Steph Curry are kind of like on the edge of that. And maybe they can get themselves in there with a couple more good seasons. But Giannis Antetokounmpo has already achieved as much as Moses Malone has. You know, Moses has three MVPs. Giannis got two MVPs. They both won that one title. But Giannis is a defensive player of the year, which if you look at that list, not many people above him have that title. I think it's just Jordan and Hakeem. Obviously, Bill Russell. I don't know if the, the, the award existed back then. Otherwise, he would absolutely have deserved it. But the point is, he's already achieved so much. So if he didn't just like plays out his career and accumulates awards, he's going to be in this discussion. And from a physical standpoint, from just someone being gifted, he projects as someone who will have a long career. This man seemingly blew out his knee only to then have one of the most epic finals of all time just like about a week later. I mean, come on, right? He's gifted by the basketball gods. And that's assuming he does nothing more. What happens if he just, you know, wins another championship here or there, has another MVP season? He just builds upon that legacy. I think we're looking at a guy who's going to be remembered as an all-time great. I mean, by that logic, all the guys that you mentioned are no scrubs when it comes to defense. And we're talking about the greatest ever in the sport. And if you are the defensive player of the year, and if you play defense the way Giannis did in these finals, I see your point. I definitely see your point. Yeah, Yasser said it so well. I mean, all of those guys, if not all of them, are fantastic two-way players. They were very good in their respective positions, but Giannis can also guard multiple positions, right? So, And not just guard, but be one of the best help defenders. I mean, in the history of the league, being able to do that. So definitely a guy who has so much potential to definitely crack, in my opinion, the top seven. But if you want to put him at 15 already, I can definitely see that there is an argument. Yeah, and typically what I'm saying is, He's at 15, assuming that he just plays out his career. Like, he doesn't do anything special. I, I'm not saying that if he dies today that he's 15, but right, right, you know, right, assuming right, he just right. continues his career and kind of just does what he's been doing and doesn't win any more awards or any more championships or even any more finals, I think he'll go down like this. I mean, to put it in perspective against another all-time great, you have to put him ahead of Dirk right now, right? Because Dirk has one MVP, Giannis has two. Dirk had that amazing run where he carried Dallas against probably a lot better opponents, to be fair, but still, he finally came through for his team. And now Giannis has done the same for his. And Giannis is a far superior defensive player, even though Dirk is probably a superior offensive player. But I, I think at the very minimum, he's ahead of Dirk, who's somewhere in that 20 or so. So he's already in the, in the range. If you don't quite agree with me that he should be 15 yet. I, I think the, the, the real exciting question will be how he compares to Stefan Durant, who are kind of his peers. But that's a conversation for another day. Well, certainly from a defensive standpoint, I think he is beyond them. It's offensively that you can make the argument against it. But in terms of longevity, when I think about Giannis's career, I mean, he has so much sheer athleticism. He's only 26, so he's not in the prime of his career yet. But say he plays another 10 years. If he's able to develop some type of like, even like a relatively basic post game, it'll extend his career even further. And I mean, while the athleticism might go down, if Giannis is going up to dunk the ball, 
I think it'll, it'll, regardless of how old he is, I think he'll still be able to get up. And he has the handles. He has some guard-like skills that will make it so that he has a long career to come. Also, you mentioned his post moves. I was thinking about, do you guys remember, I, I believe it was game five in the Nets series where I myself, I have to take a little heat on this. I was very critical of Giannis taking a fadeaway in an odd situation where he had James Harden on him one-on-one in the post. Well, you know what he did ever since then? He's hit a ton of fadeaways in the post. He's hit right-handed hook shots. He's done, you know, drop steps to dunks, you know, like Shaq used to do. So he's showing that he actually has a lot more in his bag than he ever had before. And and while I agree with uh, Anu's point earlier that one of the big developments for the Bucks in general and for Giannis in particular is how he's been used more off the ball as kind of a role man. He also had lots of touches where he caught the ball in the post or the mid post or sometimes even at the perimeter. And he just made the right moves and he got in a scoring position to the point that they had to double him a lot. And he actually then made the right reads from that. So he's actually not just some number two option that needs you know the ball fed to him. He's proven that he can be a number one option at least throughout most of the game and then leaving it to Middleton to kind of close because he has the free throws and things like that. So I I think he's shown that he can be a level one NBA scorer. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Giannis is as hard a worker as they come. And for sure, he's been developing more and more in terms of his offense. I will say, though, it is kind of alarming to see that if he's not... Obviously, we, we, we talk about a lot about the jump shot thing, right? But I mean, you can't help but almost compare the way that Giannis is projecting into similarly to how LeBron did where LeBron was like a super freak athlete but during that mid part of his career back when he was with the Heat he really developed into this really effective post type of player and developed a nice jump shot going into his Cleveland years so he's able to extend his career and still be a dominant force to this day so I'd like to see some part of his game translate to that too for Giannis because I do think it'll be important at that age when he's sort of falling out of his prime. But I do also think Usui makes a really good point about how he will always sort of be that kind of athlete similar to how LeBron is at his age. So I'd like to think that Giannis can really elevate his game if he decides to like add a little bit more into his bag. But already right now, if we just take him for what he is, he'll still be great for years to come and i think if he reaches out to a guy like hakeem or or even like tim duncan you know pure fundamentals i think that'll take him into another level and that's my hope he's always been a real hard worker so you know who knows this is only like the first chapter of his story basically right like he's still so young so i'm excited to see what happens next i'm curious guys what did you think about what milwaukee winning means for the nba as a whole because it, it, it's definitely an unexpected title, but I was just curious what you thought about that. In my opinion, it's one of the best things that can happen to the NBA. Maybe not from a revenue standpoint necessarily because it's a small market, but from like the spirit of the game aspect, it's a small market drafting this guy from Europe that no one had any idea of except for the Hawks. And they develop, they trade for pieces because it's hard for them to get free agents like that. And then they're able to keep their superstar on a supermax who didn't want to leave. So whatever they did there, they did right. I mean, obviously part of it is Giannis's own personality and that loyalty that he has, but also they clearly did enough in their part to make him want to stay. And then they built a team from the ground up, no mercenaries here. And they won the first championship of a small market in, I don't know, how long was it since a a small market won a championship? I mean, 2016 Cleveland. 
we're not counting that. I, I guess, but Cleveland's still a bigger market than Milwaukee. Isn't yeah, it? I, I, Milwaukee is such a small market that it's tiny. For most of my life, at least, it's always been that franchise that people say, "Oh, it's going to move to Seattle," or they're going to move it some other place, Vegas or something. So yeah, you're right about that. Exactly. So I love the precedence it sets because hey, maybe small markets actually do have a chance against the big markets. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to drag on anymore because us, we sort of encapsulated really well. I think it really does show that if you can draft well enough and have a guy that's a you know all-time great talent or he can project to be that kind of all-time great talent that's like super raw, like Giannis was, and you can really build a team around him. I mean, it just goes to show you that anything's really possible, right? Like, granted, there aren't going to be many Giannis's coming to the NBA or, you know, we can hope or anything like that, but... I do think that if you can build correctly from the ground up, it shows that you have a chance to win. You don't have to be a big market and acquire a bunch of superstar talent to just to win. You really don't need to do that. You just need to build the right personnel around one guy, really. So I'm going to go a bit of a different direction than the, the small market thing, which obviously it's a win for small markets. But I think it has two other effects that are worth discussing. One, it lends credibility to this championship. The Bucks fit the narrative arc of an expected champion. They failed before in famous fashion. First year Raptors on Ashan, then last year to the Heat. They had these legendary flameouts, and they had one of the greatest players ever who needed to get better in critical ways, who had fallen short and whose game had holes. And then they overcame. They came together. They even got to the finals those last two games without Giannis. And then they won the championship. That's an arc that fits what we expect from NBA history. If the Suns had won from going from not making the playoffs at all for a decade to winning a championship without really having, in my opinion, any top 10 players, that would have been seen as a bizarre outcome. So, you know, having a a credible end to this season is important. The other thing is, and I know you guys have strong opinions on this, I think it once again showed that we have the return of inside out basketball to the NBA, or at least the end of the era of unchecked small ball. You know, last year, the Lakers won with a lot of size, athleticism, and defense. And then here again this year, what do you have? You have a team that played big. You could argue even that Anushan's Raptors team to some degree, they played conventional big men. They played Gasol and Ibaka together at times, right? They played Siakam. They had size and length, Kawhi, etc. So I feel like this could be a harbinger of things to come. You know, the Bucks this year... They shot 32% from three for the entire playoffs. Wow. Yeah, 32%, way below league average. That's the lowest figure for any team to win the championship in 2010. So that old Lakers team that had a lot of size, obviously, with Bynum and Odom and Gasol. This means, I think, that we're seeing again the rise of power in the NBA and and size and and interior dominance being a factor as well instead of just shooting. I mean, I love it. I I used to play full contact sports, so I love Smash Mouth basketball. And as a fan of a team whose premier player is a big man, I love it. But, I mean, think about it. Giannis was a two-time MVP. This year, the two finalists for MVP are the winner was Jokic, a big man, and then Joel Embiid, another big man. And you could argue Giannis himself could have been in that conversation. And in my opinion, the most beautiful basketball is like the mid-range and then post-play. Because I just love seeing that fancy footwork, shaking your man, 
feeling him against your back and trying to, you know, trying to trick him. You're going one way because you kind of lean into him on, on your one shoulder and then all of a sudden you spin the other way. You know, it's just, it's so beautiful to watch. Nice fadeaway. Or, you know, like even in the mid-range game, a, a lot of what like Chris Paul and, and Devin Booker were doing, it's just so beautiful to see. And I really grew jaded watching three after three after three. Pace and space just, I, I, it just, I don't want to say it's like a lesser form of basketball, but it, it just doesn't seem as beautiful to me. I'm in full agreement with Oswe. I mean, I'm another guy who, I mean, my second favorite player of all time is Hakeem Olajuwon. And he's a guy that, like, growing up, when I played basketball, I wanted to be like him almost, like just playing in the post. Because I found that to be in one of the most purest forms of basketball. I and mean, there's so many things you can do in the post that's like coming from both like a footwork perspective, but also like a mental game, you know, kind of reading out your opponents, like Oswe sort of said earlier. I, I feel like, I'm not super on the the idea that the NBA is straying a bit more towards like unchecked small ball. I feel like it's very dependent on a team's personnel. I think Giannis is a huge destroyer of of small ball, and there's other guys who you could definitely say are similar in that sense. Like Joel Embiid is sort of on the brink of being able to do that, though he's a bit slow. But there's other guys like Anthony Davis, for example, who can can break a small ball lineup. But again, it, it becomes few and far in between. There's not many teams that have that capability to totally destroy small ball lineups. And I still think it's going to be super prevalent because a lot of the best players in the NBA are all players who have those abilities to take shots from hella deep. You know, the Dame Lillards, the Steph Currys, all these guys. And they're still very prevalent players today. So uh, I'm not super sold on the idea, but I'd like to see it happen. But here, Anushan, the other way to look at it is like, yeah, that that's right now. That's the contemporaries right now. Dame is 30 plus. Steph is 30 plus. Clay's 30 plus. A lot of these guys who are the ones who shoot on the exterior are like that. But when you see big men succeeding, when you see them as finals MVPs, when you see them as league MVP finalists and MVPs themselves, then it shows front offices, actually, the big man might be viable. It shows young kids like yourself, you know, I want to play like Giannis. I want to play like Jokic. I want to play like Embiid. So maybe not right now, but if we're looking right now, we're, we're, we're not looking at the big picture. You know, pace and space, that didn't happen overnight. Right. Like obviously Steph Curry was a sensation, but even still, the league was kind of trending toward that. And he kind of really put the exclamation mark on that. Right. So I think if we look forward more, we might see a rise in the big men and rise in the draft thinking, you know what, maybe maybe we should build a bigger team. Maybe we should build a team that is a little bit more rough. I mean, I I agree with you. I, I think it's on an upward trend, though. You have to understand that there are very few teams that have players that can accomplish those sort of things. Like, think about how many big men there are in the NBA, right? There's tons of seven-footers, but how many seven-footers can do the things that MB can do? How many can do the things that Giannis can do? ADs, right? Like, those are, like, very peculiar players. So, in order for that big man to really start cementing itself once again in the NBA, you'll need to have a time like in the 2000s when the power forward was one of the strongest positions in basketball, when center was one of the strongest positions in basketball, right? It needs to trend in that fashion where you have the some of the best, most dominant players are in the big man position, when right now it's just not catered towards that. Though I, I, I do think it might be that at one point. It's possible. 
Well, let's not forget, Embiid is like 26, Giannis is like 26, Jokic is in his early 20s, right? And all it takes is three guys like that to make a splash, to to be premier players on their respective teams, and also just the image of the league. Giannis is now the face of the league, right? So again, it, it's trending that way, and I think we will see more not right now, but moving forward, younger guys coming up are going to be inspired by that. You look at Giannis, Embiid, and Jokic in particular, they are three different types of big man. And so future players can fall into any of these three categories, right? So that that's what I'm saying. I'm like, yeah, right now, but all you need is these three guys who are... So, and, and let's throw Anthony Davis in there. I'm sorry for disrespecting Anthony Davis by not including him, but these are four guys who are big men, who are dominant in their own ways, who are superstars, who show different ways that the big man position can be viable. And that will go a long way inspiring the next generation. Anu, I, I agree with you in the sense that there will still be teams that play small and that the vast majority of teams right now are not capable of playing big. But you know what's going to happen, Anu? Those teams are going to lose over and over again to the teams that have these big men. They're going to need to match up with the guys that else we mentioned there. Just the same way as when the Warriors came out of nowhere, teams had to change and adapt to face them. You know, a team with that kind of overwhelming shooting. If they won't have any chance, they had to go smaller and be very switchable. I think we're now seeing that. Even look at last year, right? Three of the four finalists last year had elite big men, all-star caliber big men. The other team that didn't, which was Boston, got destroyed by Bam Adebayo. So now, if you're a team like Boston, you're looking around the league and thinking to yourself, if I want to stop Giannis and Embiid and Adebayo, I need a big man, a good big man. I can't just rely on, you know, basically Marcus Smart playing the pseudo center out there. AC, no faith in Tristan Thompson for the Boston Celtics? <laughs> I don't think the, I don't think the Celtics <laughs> have faith in him right now. Either. <laughs> poor, poor, did anyone get more screwed by the Kardashians than, than poor Tristan Thompson? Nice um, pun. You know, you know, it's funny. You use an interesting word, faith, and this guy has been known to cheat like whatever he I know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's also... Uh, I think he bailed on your Canadian team this year, too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I mean, bro, a lot of people bail. He's not the only person, <laughs> so I don't blame him. <laughs> well, well, we'll get into the Olympics on our, our next pod, by the way. But just to, just to wrap up this thought, I, I can't help but also think, guys, if the Warriors weren't the exception to the rule in some ways, because this is a league that, if you go back through history, has always been dominated by playing big. Right, Because the hoop is just 10 feet tall. And it sounds kind of simplistic, but if you have the guys who can reach that with less effort, they tend to dominate. And I think that's what's happened over the course of the history of the league, with the exception of since Jordan, you started seeing the rise of the big wing. But that's still a big wing, right? Like not the absence of any big men. The small ball era where you would have like these guys who would normally be power forward playing center, that seems to me more a result of having an exceptional all-time talent like Steph Curry on the floor than anything that's replicable as here once again the big man rises. For the record, the entire Team Canada bailed on the Olympics because they didn't make it. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I, I just need to throw that shade at yeah, yeah, We might have lost a couple of games, Anu, but at least we're there. The Team USA will always qualify for the Olympics. If they don't qualify for the Olympics, boy, we might as well time to retire from basketball. <laughs> 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 anyway, 
Now, guys, I do want to talk a little bit about some of the support players, specifically Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday. What did you see from those guys? Because a lot of pressure was on them to perform in, in these playoffs and also in the finals. And in my opinion, they really stepped up to the plate. Well, former Sixer Drew Holiday is my guy, right? When I started following basketball again, Drew Holiday was our premier guy. And seeing him in the finals was awesome. People are coming at him because he wasn't shooting well. You know, he wasn't assertive enough. I mean, I certainly was in that camp. But then again, you look defensively, how many stops toward the end of the game did Drew Holiday have, right? In game five, Drew Holiday came to play. He he balled out on the offensive side, and then defensively, he was everywhere. And a super underrated thing about Drew Holiday is, even if he's not getting steals, he's putting on constant pressure on Chris Paul, on Devin Booker. And even if it doesn't generate a steal, what it does is it's tiring out their legs because now they need to try to get around him. They need to you know, be a little bit more physical with them so that they can try to do something about it. And that, in my opinion, that was the difference because you could see as the series progressed, Chris Paul and Devin Booker were getting more and more tired and their effectiveness in each game. Now, obviously, Devin Booker had a 40 point game, but still their 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 efficiency, their 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 assist to turnover ratio, all of that went down as the series progressed because they were just getting worn out by this guy. So I said this earlier in earlier pods and even in our prediction about this, how the series would go, I said that having two-way players is extraordinarily important and the Bucks effectively have three of those guys, right? Now, Drew Holiday didn't necessarily score the best and he definitely had really inefficient games, but there are times when you can give the ball to Drew Holiday and he can take and make big shots. And that's what he did in this series. There were times where he would take contested fadeaways from the mid-range. Not, not high percentage shots, but they would fall. And they would give the Bucks really critical baskets. But more than that, Drew Holiday was potentially a triple-double threat almost any single time he stepped on the floor. He always rebounds consistently well for a guard. He's a good enough playmaker that he can get guys involved. He averaged like a very good assist number during these playoffs. And even the last game, I'm pretty sure he had a plus 10 assists. So he's a guy who definitely knows how to get other people involved and is not afraid to share the ball. And of course, the one thing that he's the best at is his defense, right? And we know this. Also, we said it extremely well. He tired out Chris Paul and Devin Booker and made their lives much harder than they're mostly accustomed to. I mean, think about how many times did Drew Holiday pester Chris Paul up the floor? That's going to wear on him, right? So... Drew Holiday, fantastic on the defensive end. He provided a lot of different things for them on the court. Chris Middleton played excellent. We know him as the closer. Fantastic all-around performance. I mean, he had a huge shot in Game 6 to really put them over the edge. A fantastic free throw shooter. I mean, just great all-around by Chris. Oh, I also realized I didn't say anything about Chris Middleton. I'm happy that Bud finally realized that this guy's your closer. I'm excited to see how the championship boost elevates his game moving forward. Oswe, you know, as a football fan... I'm sure you're well aware of what a shutdown corner can do for a defense. I thought in game one, they used Drew Holiday, by they I mean the Bucks. they used Drew Holiday as he was a shutdown corner only on one side of the field. So he would just stay on the left side of the field and when the number one receiver just go to the other side of the field, they would let somebody else pick him up. Why? Because they switched everything, every single action. The rest of the series, Coach Bud employed Drew Holiday like he was that shutdown corner. He did not give up switches easily. He was consistently in the grill of Chris Paul or Devin Booker at all times. And he literally impacted the game. And of course, he did have that game five offensive burst. But even aside from that, 
even though his shot was terrible, as Anu said, he had enough creation that you could give the ball credibly and he could make something happen. As for Chris Middleton, I honestly have to say that if you look at his production over the course of this playoffs, it's actually surprisingly and maybe even <laughs> blasphemously good. And then what I mean by that is this guy outplayed, just from a statistical standpoint, some of the seasons of legendary second stars on teams like Scottie Pippen, like Dwayne Wade in 2013, for instance. Uh, you wouldn't think that. You wouldn't think, you know, Chris Milton versus Scottie and Dwayne. Well, that's how good he was throughout these, this series, and especially when you factor in his defense, as both of you guys have alluded to. Look, as a football fan, I know that if you're an offense and you're facing a defense with a shutdown corner, avoid throwing to that side as much as you can. But if you're a team with an Aaron Rodgers, it doesn't matter if they have the world's best shutdown corner over there. He's going to throw it to his receiver and that guy's going for a touchdown. But the Suns, who's their Aaron Rodgers? Who's their guy that is so good it doesn't matter if they have a shutdown corner? It, it really makes me question, did we overrate Chris Paul and Devin Booker coming into this series? I love how Oswe found a way to use his guy, Aaron Rodgers, by the way, who has officially won a championship. Yes, it, he won his second ring. As a, Tom Brady, <laughs> five more, and uh, Rodgers has got you. As an owner of the Bucks, am I correct, Oswe? Yep, he owns 1%, 1%, but he's my guy. He yeah, won his a, second ring. Of course. Five more to go. But, you know, your point is well taken in that. I wonder if they truly have that elite guy. I think with Devin Booker, I'm going to give him a bit of a pass here. Because from an offensive standpoint, this man hit crazy shot after crazy shot. They let him take crazy shots, as in the Bucks. Basically, we're living with him doing that. But he made those shots, right? He turned into Dirk from mid-range, basically. I mean, it was ridiculous. I think where he was lacking a little bit was in that last level of creation and understanding what the defense was trying to do. But hey, it's his first run to the NBA Finals, right? I don't know what we can expect from him. For Chris Paul, I was just disappointed with him. After Game 2... He wasn't the same player. You know, a lot of statistics show that when he was on the court without Devin Booker, the team did so much worse in a lot of areas. Their offensive efficiency, plus minus numbers. He just wasn't good enough. And now, is that because he's injured? Is that because he choked? I don't know. But the point is, it doesn't really make that much of a difference. Because even if he was injured, the one thing about Chris Paul is we can never rely on this guy to make it through a whole postseason. And that seemed like it once again happened to him, whether it was the hand or whatever else was bothering him. He just, you know, he couldn't get it done. Yeah, I mean, just to piggyback a little bit off of you, AC. The thing with Chris Paul, to me, in this finals, what it showed is how and so uncharacteristic of him to make such untimely errors you know just turning the ball over at really really crucial times when the suns need a basket or even just like i mean in the last game he had a really good performance with 26 points but there were some times when he would just get a wide open shot and it's a shot you expect chris paul to make nine times out of ten easy like bunnies for him honestly and he's just missing them so things like that like really big game moments for a guy like chris paul who I mean, he's been in a multitude of big game situations, maybe not to the NBA Finals, of course, where it's the biggest stage of all, but it's mistakes that are really unacceptable for a guy of his career stature, really. So I was sort of, I don't want to say I was necessarily super disappointed in Chris Paul, but I feel like a lot of what my worries about him going into these playoffs were sort of resurfaced with him having the moniker of a playoff choker. Is it fair or not? I'm not sure if it's necessarily fair, but the word is sort of circulating around his head right now. And it's like there, it's being plastered onto him. And like this playoffs, this finals especially has shown that it might not be so out of the realm of possibility to think that 
this guy is in fact a playoff choker. Well, to back up your claim there about Chris Paul being a playoff choker, here's an interesting thing. 2008, Chris Paul blows a 2-0 lead against the Spurs. 2013, 2-0 lead versus the Grizzlies. 2015, 3-1 lead versus the Rockets, although Glenn Rivers helped him with that. 2016, he has a broken hand, gives up a 2-0 lead against the Blazers. 2018, hamstring, gives up a 3-2 lead against the Warriors. And now, in 2021, gives up a 2-0 lead against the Bucs. And he's the first player ever to blow four 2-0 leads in a best-of-seven series. So, I mean, the stats would agree with you. I have a lot of love for Chris Paul. I was genuinely sad that, you know, he might have blown his only opportunity ever, unless he comes to Philly. But he might have <laughs> blown his... <laughs> <laughs> also, also <his> pitch. <laughs> I love it. Hey, it's always sunny here. I know you're in Arizona, but that being said, you know, it, it's always sad to see a guy who's put so much into the game, not just on the court, but off the court as the Players Association president and who has been so pivotal in so much of what happened in the NBA in the last decade since he's been in the league and to see him finally get his chance and then it just slips away from him. It's I have nothing but sadness for him. Well, let's end with this, guys. As you guys know, there's now this viral clip of Giannis eating 50 nuggets after his championship victory from Chick-fil-A. So my question to you guys is this. You guys just won the championship. Where are you going to go get your celebratory food from? Ooh, that's a really, really good question. Hmm. Is it it Tim Hortons? I don't know. (laughs) The only Canadian restaurant that I know of. Let me me just get 50 donuts real quick. Uh, Undershot, 50 orders of poutine or something? 50 orders of poutine. Yeah, we have some good-ass poutine here. I'm just letting you guys know. But uh, that's a good question. Uh, I'll I'll come back to you on that. Nobody in America knows what the fuck you're talking about right now. (laughs) (laughs) Poutine, what's, what's that? Um, oh, so you go first, and uh, then I'll answer afterwards. Oh, dude, for me, it's so easy. Golden arches all the way, baby. Golden arches. <laughs> and it's gonna be nuggets for you too. Oh yeah. Tw- oh yeah. I, look, I've I've actually gotten fifty nuggets before, so I've done it before. I would gladly do it again. In fact, us we dramas right now will say if the Sixers ever win a championship in my lifetime, <laughs> I will order. 50 chicken nuggets to celebrate. (laughs) That is a guarantee. Oh, man. Please, Chris Paul, enjoy the Sixers. Make this thing happen. Also, we can get those nuggets. We get some viral clip of them. It'll be amazing. I will post a video on our social media of me eating all 50. Oh, man. I, I think I'm, I'm going to answer my, my part of the question now. I'm going to have to say Korean barbecue. I love me some Korean barbecue. That's my celebratory meal. Let me guess, AC, if the Knicks win, you're going to go to a hot dog stand and just buy the entire cart. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I was actually, I posed the questions and I couldn't think of anything better. So I'm going to go with that. I uh, Or pizza or pizza. I do love my pizza. I'm basically the poorest eater that you'll ever meet, <laughs> except for my ability to actually secretly be a contestant on Nathan's hot dogs eating contest. So that's what I'm going to go with. Yeah, I can attest. AC is, is one of the most impressive hot dog eaters of anyone I've ever met. All, all in and does included, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm sorry. I did not mean to <laughs> imply anything there. He <laughs> basically said you're the glizzy gosler guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. I, I genuinely apologize. <laughs> now that our, our pod has taken a turn for the worse, I think we should end it here. Guys, thank you for tuning in. Congratulations to the Greek free 
streak and the Milwaukee Bucks for being our 2020-2021 NBA champions. To all those all those long-suffering Bucks fans out there for getting shit from the media and from our podcast as well. I wish you nothing but the best of happiness. Celebrate with a bunch of hot dogs and uh, guys, we will see you next time on Brown Men Won't Jump. Later, y'all. Go Pack Go. Trust the process.